This is the Gospel City Church podcast. Our hope is that this message is helpful, encouraging, and even life-changing as you grow to know the person and work of Jesus. Enjoy this message today. Let me read for us a a poem uh, that Sarah Bournes wrote. Maybe you've seen it on your social media sites. Talking about how the coronavirus has exposed us. We've all been exposed not necessarily to the virus, maybe, who even knows. We've all been exposed by the virus. Corona is exposing us, exposing our weak sides, exposing our dark dark sides, exposing what normally lays far beneath the surface of the souls, hidden by the the invisible masks we wear. Now exposed by the papal masks, we can't hide far enough behind. Corona is calling everything into question. What is the church without a building? What is my worth without an income? How do we plan without certainty? How do we love despite risk? Corona is exposing me, my mindless numbing, my endless scrolling, my careless words, my fragile nerves. We've all been exposed, our junk laid bare, our fears made known, the band-aid torn, the masquerade, done. And she finishes with this. What Corona reveals, God can heal. It's the truth, isn't it? We're all a bit on edge. Uh, We're living in uncertain times, uh, unprecedented in our lifetime. And I think because of this, all the more God is moving. Because every time God moves his people towards greater understanding, greater belief, greater faith. Every time he does that, we have to go through this, this struggle. Uh, because as someone read this uh, verse, uh, they said this is probably the most powerful description of what's happening in our lives. And this, uh, because of that, this poem went viral. Uh, believers and unbelievers sharing and thinking about what this is, what, what is happening. And you know, throughout uh, scripture, um, every person who has come to know God always went through a, a moment of struggle in their faith. You think about Adam. I mean, they had to go through their struggle in Genesis 3. Abraham, that struggle of leaving his, 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 his home. The Israelites in the wilderness. David, Paul, all of the, the people of God have always moved as they moved to the, towards this greater understanding of God every time they go through a struggle and you have to know this because if you don't know this you'll actually interpret your struggling with is god there is he present does he love because if you do not understand that that struggle is meant for a purpose you'll actually miss god so in this journey of faith the first thing the first thing that you'll see is this faith struggle and that's what we see mary going through in this in verse 11 uh, but mary stood weeping right outside the tomb as she wept she stood to look uh, she, she stood to uh, stooped to look into the tomb and the tomb was often not just this open hole that's massive it was often a little bit uh, a little bit low so you had to actually make effort to go into it And for Mary, she's been there in the morning. We see this in in verse 1. She's been there in the morning. She's prepared some spices. 
uh, for, the, for the continuing of this burial process. As she goes, she sees the, the tomb unroll, rolled away. And so she runs to Peter and John. And so Peter and John, they run to the tomb. And then they see the tomb is empty. And now they've already left in verse, eight, verse 11. And she's, she's still there. She's still at that site. It shows us that she's genuinely mourning. But not just because Jesus has passed. She's mourning because she's thinking someone has taken his body. Do you see that? She's worried about this. That's why in verse 13, she's, she's thinking, They have taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have laid him. She can't make sense of the empty tomb. And she's not the only one throughout history. Christians, non-Christians, scholars, the regular people, right? We've all wrestled with this question. And if you haven't really wrestled with this question, I encourage you to wrestle with this question. If Jesus, his body was taken away, and for Mary, her first thought is someone has taken his body, and she's mourning, right? The scriptures are very clear. People were doubting. The disciples were doubting. Uh, Mary, uh, who, who she loved Jesus, she was doubting. I mean, Scripture is very clear that the people who became believers were very rational people, right? They're, they weren't the, the ultra-spiritual type, if you will. Often they were prostitutes, sinners, task collectors, these greedy men, right? It's these people, when they understand Christ, they understand the cross, all of these individuals, their lives change. And that's what we see here. In verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And again, you see over and over in this passage that, that Jesus could be standing right before you and you can miss him, right? That God could be right in front of your face and you could completely miss him. And what's so crazy when you, when you study history and you study specifically Christianity, Christianity has often grown in the midst of epidemics and pandemics. It's crazy. And I believe God's moving. I don't think God's simply twiddling his thumb in the sky, just looking at the virus spread and be like, oh, what can I do? No, God's sovereign. He is sovereign, and for whatever reason, we can't make complete sense of it for whatever reason. He's working. And I want you to know that if you're a believer and you're struggling, it's okay. I want you to know that if you're not a believer and you're struggling, it's okay. Because the struggle shows you something very, very important. Because God is now approaching Mary, right? Jesus, in verse 15. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Right? God's, Jesus is standing right before Mary, and Mary completely misses him. And so he asks two questions, subtle but very insightful questions. Woman, why are you weeping? 
whom are you seeking? Isn't that funny? Because Jesus, right, if he is God, he probably knows why she's weeping. And you don't have to be God to know why she's weeping because she's been very vocal about it, asking this gardener, where'd you take him? If you, if you took him, take me there, right? She's being very, very clear. And so Jesus asks, why are you crying? And think about that question. Why does Jesus ask that? Every word in Scripture is very intentional. Why are you crying? Because I think he's implying you don't need to be crying. Second question, who is it that you're looking for? Right? Whom are you looking for? Right? Because Jesus knows that, he's, that she's looking for him. Right? He could have been like, surprise. Right? He could have, she, she, he could have been like, Boo! Gotcha! No, it's very intentional. Because it's about the process of this journey of faith. For Mary to go through this struggle where God is revealing that he is not just this human Jesus, this rabbi Jesus, this friend Jesus. God is showing her, helping her understand that her Jesus was too small. That's what one commentator says. Her estimate of Jesus was far too small. And that's why she couldn't comprehend the, comprehend the empty tomb. But she couldn't comprehend that Jesus had died and was brought back to life, resurrected. She couldn't comprehend that. So the only explanation was somebody took him, which is a very reasonable explanation. And so in this, the Lord leads gently, humbly, but also confronts her. Why are you crying? Who are you seeking? You know what the first commandment is in the Ten Commandments? It's he shall have no other gods before him, right? You know what the second one is? He shall not, he shall not create an image of God. And I've always found that to be funny. Like, why is that the second commandment? The first one makes sense. If God is the only God, it, ma it makes sense that the first commandment is don't seek other gods. They don't even exist. They're just created by, you know, by your own imagination. So it's clear. I'm the only God. Worship me. I'm worthy of it. You'll find satisfaction in me and me alone, right? And so the second one is then, this, the, you know, it's kind of, when, you when you compare it, God is God, right? Worship him. And then the second one is don't create an image of God. Both of this Yahweh God, but also any God. Why is that? Because if you think about it, every time we create an idol, we create a God, it's a, it's, it's a greater reflection on us than it is on God. And so even if you're trying to make an image of God, Yahweh, Lord, right? When we make an image of him, we reduce him to simply our understanding. And the picture is this. You, you know, back in the day when they would create these, you know, literally these statues, these idols. The idea is you're carving this, this image of, of this God. And every time you, you carve this image, when you turn around and look at it when you're done, it looks an awful lot like you. 
right? It's like a bad dream. It's like you create an image, you, you make it glorious, and you turn it around, it's like, oh, looks like you. Create an image, looks like you, it looks like you, it looks like you. And what this is saying is every time we do that, we're not worshiping God, we're worshiping an image of God, and that image of God is actually an image, a reflection of you. And so here in this passage, we realize the reason Mary had such a hard time understanding what was going on as she was, she was constraining God to her image of God. God can't come back from the dead, can he? And so God's right before him. Why are you crying? Whom are you seeking? And she just goes up on this rant. If you know where he is, let me take, take me to him. And that's the struggle. That's why we all, all of us, we have to go through this struggle in faith. Because as honest as we want to be, we're always approaching God with some conjecture, some opinion of who we think God is. That's why you'll always struggle, because God has to confront your small understanding of God and your small understanding of Christ. So think about that. When you approach God with your reason, what you realize is that at worst you're ignorant, at best you're just naive. And so you realize even in your reasoning, there's a large part of God you don't understand. When you approach God with your opinions, you have to realize you're coming with your biases, your cultural biases, your family biases, right? When you approach God with your eyes, you're approaching him simply physically. And for Mary, she was approaching Jesus simply physically. His body is gone physically. Someone must have taken him. And so when God's right in front of her, she can't see. See, when you approach God even with your faith, you realize your faith is too small. But that's also why faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. Because all you need is a little glimpse. And everything starts to make sense. And that's why Christianity has grown for these past 2,000 years. Every century it's grown. Every century it's moved to a new um, region of the world. Not because everyone's so gullible. It's because they have these struggles. And in that, God is working. You see, your faith struggle is a sign that God is near. A faith struggle is a sign that God is near. He's come into your neighborhood. He's come into your home. And all the ways you see the world, all the ways that you think of, of God and who he is, every time you're going through this, this, this moment, God, why do you allow this to happen? Every time he's confronting, confronting your image of God, and saying, that's not me. I need to break that down. And it's always painful, because it's, it's, it's this little virtual reality that we've created, and it's comfortable. It's nice. We control it. But once God comes in, he breaks all of that, and he enters in. You see, God's confronting, I believe, our generation, our nations, on a global, massive scale that I think we've never seen before. All the, pan all the epidemics before were regional. But not because we're so globally connected. We have seen this virus invade literally every continent, most countries. Right? Many nations are on lockdown. As a whole society, as a, as a human race, we've never experienced this. And I believe God is moving 
breaking down these, these virtual realities that we've created to help us realize that there is beyond a physical, a spiritual. And for you to know that deep within your heart. And so the questions that we ask, how is God fronting, confronting us? The way that we know that is by the questions that we ask. When's the coronavirus going to end? The reason we're asking that is because we want control again, right? So we ask this question so that we have control, some, some sense of when we can move on with normal life. And God's showing us, you don't want normal life because it's, it's a virtual reality, right? When we ask questions like, is the world going to be safe? It reveals a lot more about our hearts. These questions are the ways in which God's confronting us. When we, are, when we have these questions, it reveals our uncertainty, right? This economic depression that people are forecasting. It puts a fear in us, does it not? And so, uh, like Jesus would ask Mary, why are you crying? Who? Like really, who are you seeking? Are you, seeking, are you simply seeking a human Jesus? Are you seeking God? The God that became man, who defeated sin and death once and for all. Are you seeking that God? If you, if, you, if you seek that God, the empty tomb then starts to make sense. And so for us, when we think about it, all our questions, is it not tied to peace, comfort, love, purpose, future? What are you seeking? What are you looking for? Because we think it's simply normal life. But the reason there's this, this, this numbing, this, this humming um, anxiety that we have, it's because we want more. And we've been exposed. C.S. Lewis talks about this in many ways. It would seem that our Lord would find our desires not too strong but too weak. Uh, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And when I first read this quote, I think for many of us, it was like this moment when we realize it's not that these struggles that we have are so great, it's that it's actually so small. But I want to piggyback on that thought and also say it's not simply that our desires are too small, it's that our God is too small that you have confined him to your virtual reality, this box. And as God is confronting you, you have to ask, who is this God? Who is this God? Because that faith struggle is simply telling you God is near and he's confronting you. And as he confronts you, there's going to be, from that faith struggle, a faith moment. A moment that it just starts to be clear, it starts to make sense. It's like that, that ringing in your ear that just slowly fades and you hear clearly. It's a fog that fades and you see again. In verse 15, it's this faith moment. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Because all she wants is Jesus' dead body. Because that's all she thinks Jesus has amounted to. So Jesus was one word 
changes everything. Jesus said to her, Mary. Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus asked a few questions to really have her pondering. Why are you crying? Who are you seeking? What are you searching for? And then, as she's, as she's in that place of confusion, trying to make sense of life, he now reveals himself. Mary. With one word. The reason she comes to understand that this man standing before her is Christ is not because of the tone of her, his voice. It's not because he sounded the same. Because the text doesn't say that. The reason she knew that it was the risen Savior, the reason she knew this was because she knew he knew her. She knew that God knew her. It's like when you walk down the street and someone calls your name, Hey, Mike! And you realize someone knows you, so you stop and you look, right? It may have happened to you when you have seen a friend, maybe 20 years have passed, a high school friend, and they see you in the street, hey, Mike, and you look, right? And it's, it's always that moment of, because oh, he knows me, I must also know you. And that's what God does. He brings you to, to this faith struggle for you, to, for you to have a faith moment. And it's in that moment you realize God is not just abstract, He's just not lofty, high-in-the-sky kind of God. He has become personal, right? A faith moment is when you connect with God. A faith moment is when you connect with God. Just a few chapters before this, Jesus says in John 10, I am the good shepherd, and I, and I know my own, and my own know me. He knows you. You've heard a lot about God. You've grown up in church, maybe. But it's in that moment when you realize that connection, that moment, that event, and you realize this is way too much of a coincidence. There has to be a God. Because it's that moment that you've connected to God. It's that faith struggle, and somehow, way, God speaks to you. God reveals himself to you. He works something out for you. And it's in that moment that faith struggle becomes a faith moment and we all have those stories right god does not know you generally he knows you personally and so for us you are not called to know god generally but to know him personally yesterday at our uh at our discussion in terms of money and, and COVID 19 moving forward together uh, one of our sisters at our church, Candy, shares this story about her brother. And she's shared about, about him a little bit uh, to me uh, before and how, and how he was struggling, especially uh, with uh, his restaurant that he owns. And uh, through all of this, God has revealed himself to her brother. And her brother is Mike. And... Uh, back in December, January, he was nervous about his restaurant, whether you know, it's going to survive. He was worried about its financial status. 
And then, you know, coronavirus comes around, and now he's worried really about his, his restaurant. Is it going to survive? He's, he employs a lot of single moms. Is he going to be able to really take care of uh, these, you know, these single moms who depend on, on him and his restaurant? And so as Candy, you know, talks uh, with her brother, um, he, you know, his, her, her brother uh, mentions this. And back on March 27th, when all of this was going, uh, going on, and as uh, grocery stores were uh, lacking uh, food, uh, he just felt that he should uh, do this act of generosity. And so with the struggling you know, income that he has, he decided, you know, I'm going to make my restaurant because the restaurants were shut down for dining. He decided to, to make his, his dining area of his restaurant a, a pantry, a grocery store, if you will, for free, for people who are just in need, for people to come by. Um, it was a pay-what-you-can pantry. And he decided to invest, not invest, but to uh, you know, use about $900 for, uh, for this. So he uses $900 of his own inventory to, 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 to help people who are in need. A couple hours later, a grocery store calls him, ordering lunch for the next day for their 220 employees. And guess how much the order was for? $900. Just a few hours before, he decides to use 900 of his own dollars from a struggling business to help somebody, help people in need. And just a few hours later, he gets a call from a local grocery store owner ordering lunch for their 220 employees for the exact amount. A faith moment when Candy's brother Mike sees that God is near, working in his life. This is what happens. This faith struggle becomes a faith moment because this God is not an abstract God. He's a personal God. He knows your needs. I encourage you, if you are struggling in your faith, find a believer and ask them, hey, why do you believe in God? What has God done in your life? And you will hear testimony upon testimony, how someone was a drug addict, how someone was addicted to something, how someone didn't have their life in order. And somehow, way, God revealed himself. He became near, and God worked. You see, this faith struggle leads to faith moments, which leads to then faith movement. The clearest way that you know you've encountered God the clearest way is when your faith moves you. That's the clearest way. Here in this text, we see uh, Jesus said to her in verse 17, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Right? It seems like Jesus is a bit standoffish. Right? She's so excited. She clings to him, and she's like, nope, not now. And then we understand why. Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father, and listen to this, my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. 
Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And now she, she's proclaiming, right? Not just teacher, Rabboni, but I have seen the Lord. Her faith has now moved her. That's the clearest way that you know you've encountered God, that your faith is moving you today. Because a lot of us are trying to believe or trying to go to church or trying to do these things. But let me tell you, Christianity is not about reading the Bible and praying and, and doing a few good things. If that's what Christianity is, it's like saying music is noise that comes out of a box. Right? That's all it is. It's like looking at a canvas, this, this art, and saying, oh, that's a nice piece of art. It's colors. Christianity is not reading the Bible and praying and being good. Christianity is God has become man to live the life we should have lived, to die the death that we should have died on the cross, receiving the penalty for our sins, forgiving us in that act. And it's that God that makes himself known to you, individually, personally. I have stories. Other believers have stories. So you have to ask yourself, what are you searching for? What are you looking for? You just simply want coronavirus to end? Is that it? Just a normal life? I'll tell you, your desires are too small. And God is too small. You have to understand that God has moved the greatest miracle that you would know, that you would know that God knows you. He's moving He's moved into your world, into your life. The reason you have faith struggles is because God is doing something in your heart and in your life. Isn't it crazy that Christians think the cross is beautiful, right? Isn't it crazy that we just sing of this, of this tree that, that, that a person hung on? And when you think about it, it's grotesque, it's cruel, it's capital punishment at the worst. Why would anybody say that's beautiful? Why would Good Friday be anything but good? It's because the believer understands that that cross was meant for us. And when you understand that God took upon your sin because he loves you first, when you see that, it's that faith moment. God is connected with you. He has helped you realize all your struggles, all your sin, all your doubt, that he's loved you, he forgives you, he has a plan for you. That's why we move as Christians. That's why we act as Christians. Because this God is not a general God. He's a personal God. He has, he has come into our lives. What are you searching for? If you want peace, if you want comfort, if you want love, if you want purpose, seek God. In him you will find your heart's satisfaction. Let's pray. If you've been blessed through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. Gospel City is a gospel-centered church in Seoul, South Korea, on a mission to plant Korean-speaking, healthy, gospel-centered churches. You can give by going to the website give.thegospelcity.org. 
Thank you for listening and subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Remember, Jesus changes everything.